Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Kyle Reese. I am here with Ben Cerruti for Prospects After Dark and Birds on the Black. Uh, I've had a lot of people on my Twitter DMs kind of slide on in lately and ask me uh, some of my thoughts about the draft. Uh, by the way, the draft is starting Wednesday into Thursday. Um, the Cardinals have picks 21, uh, 54, 63, 70, and 93, 122, and 152. Uh, uh, and I've had a lot of people slide in and ask me some questions and I just thought I, I hate reading uh, and I also don't have time to write the way that I would like. So I thought maybe we could, uh, we could just answer some questions, talk about some stuff. Uh, my esteemed colleague at birds on the black Ben Cerruti, who has been putting out amazing content uh, throughout the pandemic, uh, nonstop. I, I mean, just amazing high quality content had been asking some questions of some people online and had asked me some questions in our private chat. And I thought, you know what, I, I think that and ben, a lot of the questions that Ben were at, was asking were similar questions to what uh, you guys were asking. So I thought I, I, I'd love to have the opportunity to just talk with Ben. And, and I wanted the opportunity to talk over some of the draft stuff uh, that I had been asked. So, uh, Ben, I, I'm here to introduce the lovely and talented Ben Cerruti. Ben, how are you tonight? Doing great, Kyle. How are you, man? I, I mean it, man. You've been doing great work. Uh, I haven't paid as much attention to it because I've actually been working through all this. But the things that I have clicked on and, and read uh, have been top-notch, uh, interesting reads and a lot of fun. And uh, uh, I don't get a chance to talk to you to your face all that often, but it's, I just wanted to take a chance to tell you how much of a privilege it is to call you a co-worker at Birds on the Black. Oh, thank you. I, I love everything you put out, too. And, uh, hey, that's the reason we joined Birds on the Black, right? We, we have a lot of... Uh high praise for one another and and i think everybody pulls their weight and does a great job i agree bud i agree so uh ben uh, you you i've always appreciated you uh because you seem to be invested in both the minor league aspect and the draft aspect uh of baseball and you have tried over the years just talking to you in dms even before you were part of birds on the black even before i was part of birds on the black you've tried to like evaluate and put a value on minor leaguers and this is the next generation of minor leaguers uh albeit the smallest generation of new minor leaguers that we've had and probably will ever have um what what is what's the pressing question on your mind like what's what's the thing as we as we enter the draft here this week what's the question uh that's on your mind the most well, I think it's probably the question that's on everybody's mind and every team's fan's mind is, is how is the team going to, how is your favorite team for us, the Cardinals, going to work around only having five rounds to pull from? Um, and I, I think that, I, I don't know, I know you put out uh, a tweet and I put out a similar tweet and I messaged a few friends just asking what they wanted out of this podcast tonight. And that was the first thing I got back almost every time was basically, you know, with only, uh, and uh, I'm going to read Troy Poole, uh, who, who does some fine stuff over at Viva Alberto's with the, and pitcher list, I think with the draft, he asked with only seven picks, you go best player available throughout, right? No attempt to fill a need, right? Or am I dead wrong with both thoughts? And really, I think it's, that's kind of where everybody's brains at. What do you do with just these seven picks and five rounds? Uh, the first thing you do is you, you count your blessings that you actually have seven picks and five rounds. I, I was thinking about that earlier. Like 
to have the comp pick that they got for um, Marcelo Zuna, and then to have an additional pick, the competitive balance pick. Uh, their their pick initially was 38, which is now 37, and they traded that pick to the Rays as part of the Matthew Libertor trade. They they swapped. They had pick at the time it was 38, and I think I guess the Rays had or the uh, the Rays had pick. 65 at the time or 66 at the time. And then with the suspensions to the Red Sox and the Astros, it's become pick 63 and uh, pick 37. But to have those extra picks is huge. And my assumption is not to, not to like make this immediately about a, an argument between owners and players, but the owners understand that they are in, and the front offices are just an extension of the owners, but they understand that they're in a unique situation where they're not bringing in revenue the way that they had hoped they would or that they might not otherwise have a chance to, depending on where these negotiations go and, and what all comes of that. So I think that I think teams will operate with the, the, your, you know, your standard best guy on the board. But I, I do think that teams aren't going to get cute with their bonus pool. Uh, uh, pool I mean, I think, I think more than likely teams are going to have a pretty hard line this is what we are going to give you. And if you're not willing to take it, we're going to move on. Now, uh, that, that might strike some people as a violation of rules, but um, and it, it is if you put it that way. But just like with everything else, uh, front office types know how to do it when they're talking to the representatives for these players, where it just gets close to crossing the line of breaking rules without going over the line of breaking rules. So, uh, you know, there's stories in the past about it, it getting pretty contentious, some of these these conversations. And I think, I think what you'll see is teams operating, trying to get the best player that they can on their board uh, under most circumstances, but understanding that if that guy at pick 70 wants picks 54 type bonus pool money, they're going to move on until they can get their guy, their highest rated guy at pick 70 bonus pool slot, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Uh, Yeah, that makes sense to me. Uh, okay, so question for you then, kind of off the script that we kind of came up with then, based on what you said, do you feel like that is going to be a huge departure for most teams from how they normally operate during the draft? I definitely think it means that we're going to see less less risk. Okay. And it's going to be interesting because, you know, in the past we've seen teams take collegiate seniors in rounds five or six, maybe even round three, uh, you know, in the top 10 rounds, knowing that they can only, they were only going to give them $1,000 or $6,000 or $5,000 and then use the extra X amount of money uh, and reallocate that to uh, maybe a riskier high school age pick or a draft eligible sophomore at, at a, where, you know, uh, they'd give them that money where if that guy, if that, high school player or that draft eligible sophomore player was drafted in the eighth round and only had a pool of like uh, an allotted pool of like $200,000 or whatever it was, they'd use that extra 600,000 that they saved on uh, uh, senior X to pay that guy an advanced mm-hmm. slot. And I don't think that we're going to see much of that. You know, the, uh, the seniors in this group aren't exactly impressive. Uh, Landon Knack is the name at the top. Uh, there's a couple interesting players like Luke Smith, who uh, uh, pitches for Louisville. Um, There's a couple interesting seniors, but I don't believe, especially with the 20K limit on signing players outside of the top five rounds, I don't believe that you're going to see a lot of teams, uh, you know, reach to get those seniors in order to try to distribute their pool to maybe some uh, some more risk-oriented 
high school or draft eligible sophomore picks. I, I think I think that's where the balance ends up being. Now, um, uh, it's worth mentioning that with like a team like the A's and the Angels in particular, you know, they they've kind of been in the news because the Angels uh, basically furloughed their entire scouting staff. Um, and that'll have, I believe that that happens the week after the draft. And of course the A's stopped playing their, paying their minor leaguers. Uh, and I don't think that there's any coincidence that in the last 48 hours, both of those teams have magically decided to pay those people, those players, uh, and those front office types, uh, because they were probably getting some kickback from, you know, people they were reaching out to, maybe even players or players, agents or representatives at this point, uh, they were probably getting some kickback from them. Uh, why would we sign with you? if we're not drafted in the top five rounds when you just treated these people this way, I, I don't think there's any coincidence at the timing of that. Um, so yeah, that, that's what I think. I, th- I think that there's going to be a little bit more risk aversion, uh, but I definitely think teams are going to know what it's going to cost to sign a player. Uh, and I would imagine that if you hear a guy's name called, he's definitely going to sign with that team. Uh, whereas that wasn't always necessarily uh, a certainty in the past. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, you kind of touched on what I was going to ask next. I thought that led really well into kind of how this year's draft is set up. You talked about how after the fifth round, when the draft is over, uh, everybody else is a free agent, but can only be bought for $20,000 um, a maximum. Yeah. Uh, correct? Yeah, maximum. Okay. And then what did, what happened with the typical te- – I mean, typically it's 10 rounds of draft pool that uh, you can – you can typically spend, is it five or 10% over without any penalty? Well, you know, let me, let me, I, I want to double check that because it used to be, I thought okay. it was 10, but I'm pretty sure it's five. And I did okay. just pull I, it up. Okay. Yeah. I Go thought on, I'd no, seen sorry. both numbers recently and I couldn't remember which was which. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that the, I'm pretty sure it's 5%. Uh, yeah, in, in the eight years, and I'm on MLB.com right now, uh, and I never go to my computer, and I'm embarrassed by this. I'm sorry. In eight years, <laughs> while these rules, uh, with these rules, teams have exceeded their allotment of a allotments a total of 149 times, but never more than the five percent allotted. So okay. there you go. Okay, and so this year still has the five percent allotment, but uh, but it's only five picks. All right. Um, do we want to go ahead and just get into some of the other questions we had then? Yeah, I love it, man. Let's do it. All right, so the first two questions kind of go together. The first one is, it seems as though the philosophy Randy Flores and the Cardinals have taken in recent years is to take best player available with pick number one, at least when they've had a first-round pick. Assuming none of the big names like, you know, your Nick Gonzalez and Emerson Hancocks, your Asa Lacy's, your Spencer Torkelson's, none of them fall to us at 21. Do you feel like there is a guy that has a chance to be your Nolan Gorman or your Delvin Perez or your Zach Thompson that drops that far? My first thought in this, honestly, is just the difference in between selecting 19th and 21st. You know, the Cardinals have selected 19th quite a bit over the last couple of years. Uh, Just the difference in between uh, 19 and 21, your certainty about having someone fall just drops dramatically. Um, what you're seeing in a lot of mock drafts, and I, I try not to keep pay that much attention to mock drafts, but there's been little else going on, so I've been I've been paying a little bit more attention. Uh, I think you're seeing guys like Ed Howard, who you're seeing guys a shortstop, prep shortstop from the Chicago area named Ed Howard. You're seeing him maybe be mocked past pick 21. Um, when I talk to other people who who do what I do or 
Um, but when I talk to other people, I think it's, I think that that almost feels like a little too much smoke. Uh, almost like maybe some teams in the mid, the teens there are trying to uh, like confuse the other teams and hope that he lasts long enough to land to him. It's rare that a prep, the, the best prep shortstop gets taken that late. Doesn't so, go 21. Yeah. 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 So, you know, if you're, if you're reading the mocks, someone like, uh, like Ed Howard would be a name that would stick out to you as somebody who would fall to 21. Uh, personally, I don't think it'll happen, but he'd be a guy I'd keep an eye on. It's been interesting to watch guys like Pete Crow Armstrong, a prep outfielder who you, I mean, if you've been following prospects and, and the draft for a couple of years, you've heard Pete Crow Armstrong's name for, I mean, I feel like I've been hearing his name for five years now. Uh, I think that's what happens when you're under the, you're on the team, uh, team USA U13 team or whatever. Um, but yeah, he, he's been a hot shot. I think, I think there's a chance that he finds his, his way, but in the last couple of weeks, there's been a lot of talk about him finding his way, maybe up into the top 15 picks. Um, Cade Cavalli, the big righty out of uh, uh, Oklahoma, is another interesting uh, right-hander that has been mocked anywhere from the mid-20s to the early teens. Um, I heard a podcast, and I- I'm going to end up – I don't remember who said it, but apparently there was some talk about maybe him even being a top-10 pick. Um, I-, I would imagine if that happens, it's because teams are, are trying to – job their bonus pool i think that that's what would happen there um but yeah like i don't think that there's at 21 it's harder to see anybody really falling uh but i would suspect that if you do see someone falling you're, you're talking about some of those guys who are when you're looking at mocks are mocked between like 15 and 30 um that might might get passed up you know one of the guys i really like is garrett mitchell outfielder from ucla tons of tools uh, preloads like um, uh, Larry Walker used to. He's he's not Larry Walker. He's never going to be Larry Walker. That's that's not what he is. But he has a preload setup some, similar to Larry Walker. Um, uh, like there's a lot of talk about him maybe falling. I don't see that happening either. Uh, but yeah, yeah, maybe someone like Ed Howard. But other than that, like the, the difference between picking 19, where you have Nolan Gorman fall in your lap, or uh, uh, Zach Thompson fall in your lap in a weak draft, and 21. Uh, is it's crazy the difference in, in the talent you get in just those two picks. So those are the guys that I would keep an eye on as the potential potential fallers. All right. So you mentioned Kid Cavalli of Oklahoma, and you mentioned uh, Ed Howard, the prep guy out of uh, Chicago area. Uh, isn't Ed Howard committed to Oklahoma? Is that correct? I believe so. I believe so. Okay. You know, so the one the one area and in, in my it's it's almost a terrible blind spot. The one area where I'm really bad is where the high school kids that I don't think are going to go to college are committed to. Now, some of them I know, uh, but like the ones that I, I feel pretty darn confident are, are going to college. Um, I, I kind of just ignore where they're committed. OK. And so, so Ed Howard's one where you really think that he'll you you really think he'll be drafted high enough that it doesn't matter where he's committed to yeah absolutely okay fantastic yeah, even even if um, he's drafted 29th like it, say that he goes to the dodgers at 29 he's still going to get that pool he's still going to go I, I i'd almost guarantee that okay fair enough um okay so similarly talking about first round picks here um the cardinals if i remember correctly when they picked dylan carlson back in 2016 I feel like there were some that thought that was a bit of a reach. Yeah. And and at least partially, I want to say that that he was drafted there not only because of his talent, 
but because he was an absolute gym rat and they believed that he would get all, he would like get everything out of his talent. Um, or, you know, he already had a very, they probably saw a high ceiling, uh, pardon my use of that term. I know that's not your favorite, <laughs> no, um, fine. but I'm sure they knew he had a high ceiling being a first round guy, but they thought maybe he would actually be able to reach what they saw as his ceiling because of that gym rep mentality. Do you see anybody or have you followed storylines of players like that in the first round or second round this year that, that might be movers up as opposed to movers down? You know, he's, he's a lot of fun. Dylan Carlson is a lot of fun. Uh, I actually heard uh, Jonathan Mayo talking about it, how prior to that draft, it wasn't until the couple days leading up to the draft that teams like they knew who he was. They, they were familiar with him, but no one expected him to go anywhere near uh, like the top hundred. Most, most outlets didn't have him in the top hundred. Uh, and the reason is uh, he played first base in high school and scouts wanted to see him out in the outfield. Uh, but he, his father, who was his coach, uh, values first base defense to a great deal. And Dylan Carlson is a great defensive first baseman. So part of the reason uh, why he, you know, teams, teams didn't really know how to grade out his potential athleticism. You know, they'd see him at showcase, they'd see him run, saw the big body, saw the frame. They didn't really know how to evaluate that, but they did know he came from a, a top-notch family, uh, uh, just, the, you know, a great family as we've come to find out through Prospects After Dark, um, mm -hmm. and, and that he, he was part of a program uh, that was, you know, United States renowned. And had also produced other, you know, minor leaguers, other draft picks who talked highly of him. Uh, so it's kind of a unique situation there. But it does go to show you that some of these guys, if they're not getting the proper exposure, it's easy to maybe overlook them and their potential impact at the major league. You know, I, not, we don't know about a major league impact, but it's easy to look over them. Uh, when, when I read about all these guys... Uh, they all seem like workers. It, like uh, there's not one where it's not even mentioned. It's like, Oh, Tyler Soderstrom, uh catcher, uh, high school, a prep catcher. He's a hard worker. Uh, Carmen Majinski, uh, right-handed pitcher out of South Carolina, hard worker, Bryce Jarvis, uh, even someone like Mason Erla, uh, Bryce Jarvis, the righty out of Duke, uh, Mason Erla, the, the righty out of Michigan state. Both of those guys took off last off season. They, they didn't pitch in summer to build themselves up, work on their repertoire, get in labs to make themselves better. Uh, all of these guys are extremely hard workers. And, you know, th there's a couple guys who, you know, uh, Bryce Jarvis in particular st stands out because he's worked tirelessly to uh, uh, clean up his mechanics, get his changeup and his, and his slider in order while, while increasing the velocity on his fastball. Like, that's, that's nonstop work. To get it there, um, you know, uh, someone like someone like uh, Dylan Dingler, you know, a catcher for Ohio State, super athletic. His freshman year at Ohio State, he was their center fielder, uh, played center field for him. Uh, big arm, like he's athletic the same way that JT Real Muto is uh, for a catcher. You know, to get himself to the point where you feel confident that he's going to stick at catcher with that type of athleticism and you know the positional versatility that he's had. And while also uh, incorporating uh, an, uh, like the raw power that he has into his game, like that is really, really impressive. Uh, I think we've entered a time where 
we might not ever see somebody who isn't a hard, like an extremely hard worker get drafted outside of like the top 50 picks. Um, you know, uh, the, the only guy that really comes to my mind that doesn't like scream hard worker. And, and you know, it's not even, it's not even really fair to say that, but you know, I, I won't say his name, but you know, there's, there's guys that like, they've had issues, you know, like off the field issues here and there disciplinary issues, like maybe them, but even some of those guys are hard workers. So, you know, I, yeah. I and to be a first round talent in the major league baseball draft, you, you've got to be a hard worker. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I just didn't know if there's anybody kind of that above and beyond like Carlson that you, you kind of mentioned a few. Uh, I do want to touch more on Dylan Dinkler, but I'm going to wait, Dingler, but I'm going to wait until later on that one. We've got a qu- couple questions before that one here. Um, all right. So I know you and I are both a very, uh, have a great amount of respect for prospects live and all their draft coverage they do. I know just from knowing you, I know you try to kind of, while you're creating your own list and coming up with your own opinion of people, you kind of shut everybody else's mock, everybody else's mock drafts and top hundreds and everything kind of shut them out. Don't even look at them until you have your head wrapped around everything. Uh, I do not have that luxury uh, mm-hmm. with a three-year-old and a five-year-old. I do not get to watch hours and hours and hours of tape. Um, and so I do get to look at those lists a lot more than you. Um, but uh, Prospects Live, with the Cardinals picking 21st, I looked at the guys that they have in their 18 to 24. So three picks ahead, three picks behind. They've got, and I'm just going to list them alphabetically here. They've got Nick Bitsko, Slade Ciccone, Pete Crow Armstrong, JT Ginn. I'm going to screw this one up. Heston Jerkstad? Kirstad. Yeah, that's it. Kirstad. Awesome. Tyler Soderstrom and Cole Wilcox. If everything goes according to Prospects Live's version of the plan for the first 17 picks, out of that group, who do you really like for the Cardinals? If I had to pick one of the – first off, I'm just going to echo those same sentiments that you said about the Prospects Live people. I I love all of them. They are – what they do is amazing. I – to be able to, like, watch them grow and watch what uh, uh, Prospect Jesus, Ralph Lifshitz did and Matt Thompson, you know, who who I love, to watch them grow into what they've grown into and how they got there and and the amount of amazing work that they've done in the process and – uh, it's just awesome to see that. So uh, while I do things a little bit differently than them and we all value things a little bit differently, uh, I, I have nothing but the utmost respect and love for them. And you need to check them out if you haven't. Uh, of that group, for me, it's it's uh, Heston Kierstead. Like uh, if I could have one of them, it'd be him. But that's getting back to your own personal preference. Uh, Heston has big swing and miss problems, uh, but he has this beautiful left-handed swing with power to all fields. Um, he's probably a left fielder, but he, like, I, what I value is I value hitters at the collegiate level that have present power and also raw power on top of their already present power. You know, I've listened to podcasts with, uh, Asa Lacey and Garrett Crochet and, uh, Max Meyer and Reed Detmers. And when asked who the toughest player to get out is at the collegiate level, they all say Heston Kierstad. And that's like, that rings loud to me. That's what I keep an eye out for. Um, And so it'd be him of that group. Uh, Realistically, he won't be there Uh, at at 21. I I don't envision a situation in which he gets past somebody like, you know, say the Rangers 
Uh, and I think Rangers pick 15th. I, I get 14, but Rangers, you know, about the 15 range. It'd be hard to see him getting past there. But of that group, it is him. Almost, almost, almost no doubt. Okay, perfect. But um, real, okay. real fast, before oh, we get too far, before we get too far away from that, of of Bitsko, Sashoni, uh, uh, P, PCA, yeah, Bitsko, PCA, Ginn, Soderstrom, and Wilcox are the others. Uh, now, Bitsko and Soderstrom are the prep kids. Bitsko is a right-handed pitcher uh, who reclassified. He's actually he entered, he's entering the draft a year early, and uh, you know he is one of these guys who's posting on Instagram his amazing Rapsodo numbers. Uh, he has uh, his fastball curveball changeup is really good. He has good command. He would be uh, my next on the list behind Heston. Uh, and then now, wouldn't, wouldn't that be interesting if the Cardinals did that after Trey Fletcher last year, having oh, the yeah. classification? Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's, so that's the other thing is I think that there's a, um, a misconception about what the Cardinals do in the draft under Randy Flores that we probably should address real quick. And I'm, I, I really am trying to be concise. I promise. Um, no, no, no. So, so I think that leading up to Randy Flores taking over in 2016 between Dan Cantrovitz and, uh, Carlos Correa and, you know, uh, uh, Lunau and all the people who pre you know, like predated a uh, Randy Flores. I think that there was reason to believe and always count on the Cardinals taking a safe college pitcher in the first round, maybe being safe throughout the draft. But that is, that is totally unfair to say about Randy Flores. Uh, last year in the first round, Randy Flores took a chance on a kid named Zach Thompson. Now, a Kentucky lefty with nasty stuff. You say take a chance, but there's arm injury history there. Thompson was easily the best player on the board, even with that arm injury, and they still drafted him, which was the right move to do. With their second round pick, they drafted a reclassified outfielder named Trajan Fletcher. Fletcher played in Maine and New York, two cold climates where no one had seen him before he reclassified. The Cardinals did a little bit, uh, and then they saw as much as they could of him before that short, like, 12-game season shut down uh, and liked him enough to, to, to go all in on him with their second-round pick, knowing that they could sign him. Uh, and that's a tremendous athlete. Like, that's, that is a, you know, pardon, pardon the language, but that's a ballsy pick. It, 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 takes, it takes a ballsy front office and a, a ballsy scouting department to, to make that pick there. Uh, even for somebody who had the potential to be, you know, a top 50, top 25, maybe even the number one pick in this draft, had he not reclassified. Uh, so the Cardinals, this under Randy Flores, the Cardinals are not risk averse. Uh, so someone like Bitsko actually fits. And it, like for being 17, for, you know, already being ready for the, the, the draft and to be, uh, more than likely a top 20 pick, but on the off chance, you know, a, a top, a first round pick. And to be as advanced as he is both physically uh, and tools wise and pitch, pitchability and uh, uh, talent wise, like he has it. He has the basis for it all. And that's a special arm. And I would not be surprised at all if at 21, the, the Cardinals, depending on what the board looks like, if Nick Bitsko uh, is the pick there. Um, and then the other, the other, like I like all the players in that list, but the other guy that I really like is catcher Tyler Soderstrom. Uh, I think I think Soderstrom ends up being a third baseman long term, but there's no reason to make the kid uh, a third baseman until you have to, or an outfielder until you have to. But that bat is something special. He's physical, um, you know, for being 18 years old, you know, to be six foot two and 200 pounds of like 
uh, like honest to goodness muscle with a beautiful, beautiful left-handed swing, uh, you know, and, and some tools that you could potentially see, you know, catching down the road. Uh, like I love Soderstrom. I, I mentioned to you uh, in our, our group DM that Soderstrom is like the reverse Carson Kelly to me. You know, Carson Kelly goes from being a third baseman to a catcher because you kind of worry about his bat, but you you want to try to get something out of him because you're kind of worried about where his value might be at the time as like a, a 20-year-old or a 19-year-old. Soderstrom's right, right. the opposite. Soderstrom's bat is, it, it is, you know, I think he has the athleticism to handle third, but he, he's like the reverse Carson Kelly where his bat will probably force him to go somewhere else. And that's coming from someone who, you know, it, it's, it's known in the industry that drafting a prep catcher is dangerous. It's dangerous business. They hardly ever uh, play out uh, or pan out the way that you would like. And even knowing that, like, I still like Soderstrom a great deal. Okay, I've got a totally random question here yes. going off script. Andrew Kisner, is he the in-between oh, between yeah. Carson Kelly and Soderstrom? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, you know, he's a little bit different just because of how uh, how he became a catcher. You know, that, that kind of changes it, you know, starting off as a third, a fresh, a true freshman third baseman at NC State, transitioning to catcher, catcher from there. You know, he gets drafted, spends some time DHing, catches. But there is yeah, there a is some, first base his first year with us, too, if I remember correctly. I believe. Years. Yeah, I believe you're right. And uh, so it's it's a little bit different there. But I, I think and also, you know, the, the other thing when you're talking, it's a difference between drafting a high school, a prep catcher and a collegiate catcher. You know, that gets a little a little muddled. But I, I do think yeah. that if if you want to talk about like profile in general, the amount of athleticism that Tyler Soderstrom has uh, trumps the amount of athleticism that Andrew Kisner has or Carson Kelly has. And I don't mean that as like especially towards Andrew Kisner, who could probably handle third if you asked him to. Um, uh, I don't mean that to like make Kisner look bad. Just Soderstrom, no, is, no, no, he's, no. An, he's an athletic beast. All right. So. All right, so I'm going to try to make a nice segue here. So uh, hmm. one more thing about Nick Bitsko is that he is also, like Trey Fletcher, not only reclassified but a Northeast kid playing just outside of Pencil- uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, moving into more colder climate, although summer version, uh, the Cardinals wow. have long taken players from wooden bat summer leagues like the Cape Cod League. Uh, so I'm thinking I've got a long list of players here that have done that. Colton Wong, James Ramsey, Stephen Piscotti, Marco Gonzalez, Mike Mayers, uh, Myers, uh, Luke Voigt, Luke Weaver, Austin Gomber, Harrison Bader, Dakota Hudson. There goes on and on and on, including yeah. two recent picks, Griffin Roberts and Zach Thompson. Is there a wood bat league overperformer that they might target with picks 21 or 54 or 63 or 70, one of those early picks that I, you uh, know Oh, so I, I think at 21, it's a little bit more muddled because, I, you know, it, I do think that they're going to take whoever's at the top of their board. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, guys like Nick Lofton, a shortstop from Baylor, he had a pretty good turn in, in the uh, – I'm I got in the Cape Cod. I'm going to end up calling it the Arizona Fall League, which could not be any different. <laughs> I apologize for that uh, just ahead of time because it's coming. I'm sorry. Um, but, you know, I think someone like Nick Lofton, uh, maybe Austin Wells, uh, another guy who is a catcher who probably won't catch long term. Uh, I think that they're probably the the two bats that you would you would pick at twenty one that maybe are on the Cardinals radar that had a standout twenty nineteen uh, Arizona or, or see I almost did a Cape Cod League. There you go, um, Cape Cod League. God, but I think I think where you're going to want to look uh, for the Cardinals in, in their Cape Cod presence 
is is definitely in like with the the uh, uh, 54th pick, 54 the 54th pick, 93 range. Yeah, exactly. And even even later than that, 122, 152. Last year, the Cardinals, I, I think, and I just talked to Matt Thompson about it, and I feel like a jerk for it, but uh, I think seven of their first ten picks were were Cape Cod guys. Um, Tony Losi was Cape Cod. Andre Payante was Cape Cod. Uh, Logan Gregg would have been Cape Cod, but he was nursing his arm, trying to get his, his arm healthy. Pedro Pajes was Cape Cod. Todd Lott was Cape Cod. Um, and I'm forgetting someone else. Oh, Jack Ralston was Cape Cod. Uh, so, so, you know, that's, I think, seven of their first ten or six of their first ten were Cape Cods, uh, Cape Cod uh, performers. So I wouldn't be surprised if you're talking about, like, all of those picks – uh, having having a Cape Cod presence, you know, even like uh, one of the kids that they 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 just recently released, uh, Scott Politz, um, who I, was like a twenty eighth or something round pick, uh, he pitched in the Cape Cod last year um, before he was drafted. Uh, you know, I, without going on like a, a crazy rant here, I, there are a lot of names that I could see the Cardinals um, d- like dipping their toes in the water of it during from the Cape Cod. You know, uh, uh, pitchers I'd keep an eye out for, you know, just off the top of my head. Uh, um, uh, Nick Garcia, who is uh, a beast, an absolute right-handed beast with a great repertoire. I like him a lot. Uh, some of the guys I think we're going to get to here in a little bit uh, that I drafted in the Prospects Live draft. Uh, Zach Deloche, uh, 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 Jordan Westberg. I don't. I don't think Westbrook will be there at fifty-four. The shortstop from Mississippi State. More than likely, he's picked be- between twenty-one and fifty-four. Um, uh, you know, some guys, deep sleepers. You're talking about maybe the third or fourth round. Hopefully, uh, Hayden Cantrell, a uh, uh, utility player, shortstop from the University of Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, Xavier Warren, who is a catcher slash shortstop slash outfielder. Uh, uh, Trey Cruz, who is the son of. Uh, uh, um, Oh God, I can't think of his name. Uh, Cruz Jr. Uh, uh, yeah, anyways, who comes from a baseball family? Um, th- like those are just some bats. Uh, there's another kid named Jamal O'Gwin. If there's one thing Randy Flores likes, he likes a contact OBP uh, hitter from USC. That's what Jamal O'Gwin is. As is his his uh, he he's a third baseman for USC. Plays a little first uh, as well. Might be stuck at first long term, but he's. Him and his his uh, battery mate on the left side of the USC infield, Ben Ramirez. Both of those guys kind of fit the profile of what the Cardinals like that you could see drafted in the fourth or fifth round. Uh, last year, I think with their twenty first overall pick, they took uh, a kid named a lefty named Zarian Sharp. Uh, Sharp didn't sign. I mean, that wasn't twenty first. Uh, Sharp didn't sign with them, uh, but he went back to college. He's a senior and. I like Sharp a lot. I wanted them to sign him. It didn't work out for whatever reason. And even someone like him, you know, uh, I know a lot, a couple guys, lefties that have found their way up draft boards. Uh, Logan Allen, uh, two guys that are actually a lot alike, Logan Allen and Ian Seymour, uh, left-handed pitchers. Uh, Logan Allen for uh, Florida International and Ian Seymour for Virginia Tech. Uh, Both of them are similar style pitchers. Uh, Six foot tall, not a whole lot of size there. Um, But yeah, look, I, I think that I think the Cardinals have never shied away, especially under Flores, from going for both Team USA guys, whether that be collegiate national team or U18 kids, uh, and they've never shied away from Cape Cod kids, and that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, get the kids who have competed in some of the like the biggest tournaments uh, against the best talent, 
uh, that you've seen perform and, and figure it out from there. So uh, again, uh, there is a, a laundry list of Cape Cod guys that fit between, you know, at 21, but fit between uh, 54 and 152 that I could definitely see the Cardinals like salivating over at their picks. Gotcha. Now you, you started going down draft board a little bit there with the third, fourth, fifth round possibilities. So I'm going to skip ahead a few questions because I think this fits in better. Mm -hmm. Um, So nearly every week you're a guest on the two birds on a bat Mm -hmm. podcast with Jim Cromer and Mo's algorithm. And they have a slogan that says where analytics meet the eye test. And I feel like sometimes that applies with me and you. Um, I work much more with the analytically driven stuff and you're much more of the, this is what I think of this guy based on what I see. Um, Prospects live has out a normal top 101, but also I just found on there today prepping for this, that they have one uh, top 81 board that's called their data influenced big board. Um, you can probably imagine these two boards have quite a few discrepancies, <laughs> but they have quite a few similarities as well. Um, on their big board, they the the big data one they talk about like they used Rapsoda data and all this stuff. Uh, I did notice that I think some of the discrepancies were that they might not have had some stuff on some of the prep guys. Yeah. Um, and so uh, guys like Caden Wallace and Kyle Harrison and Victor Medeiros and a few others just weren't on the other board, the, the big data board. Um, but they got a lot of them, a lot of the prep guys, they got some sort of data on to fill in. Um, there were some guys that had some very big differences. Um, I wanted to maybe touch on a few of those. Uh, you've already touched on Ed Howard a bit. Um, guys like Jared Kelly, JT Ginn, Jordan Walker, and Daniel Cabrera were much lower on the analytical list than they were on the actual top 101. Why might that be? And do you want to just maybe preface with who those guys are? So Jared Kelly. Yeah. So if you will, we'll do a one by one, if that's okay. Uh, We'll we'll start with Jared Kelly. Now, first I want to say, and as much as I love the prospect live guys, I, I have not, I I will say I looked over their top 100. I just looked over it. I was looking for names that I might've missed. Uh, that's that's kind of what I do here. Like I, I do the research, I find the players. Uh, you know, a lot of times I'm just kind of cycling through Twitter trying to find players. I'm looking for the list of people to get familiar with, and a lot of times the only way you can do it is by looking at people's top 100, top 200. You know, in Baseball right. America's case, top. So that's that's what I do is I look for names and I try to get to know them on my own. So I did look through at their 101. I did not look at the new uh, big board. I know that they're they love it. I, I know that it's getting nothing but praise, and it should. And I'm envious of the data that they have because that is that is really really difficult data to get a hold of, uh, and if if you're into prospects, you need to check that out because that data is really really important. And I can also promise you that it's the data that teams are using to evaluate talent, like one of one of the data sets that teams are using to evaluate talent. So check that out for sure. Jared Kelly, who is a prep righty, a uh, big prep righty, he's a fastball changeup righty. Uh, uh, clean delivery can get a little out of whack as you would suspect out of any teenager. But the issue with Kelly is more than likely, if I have my guess is most of the time, the prep righties who are mostly fastball change up, they don't usually grade out particularly well analytically. Um, 
I've heard mixed results about the spin on Kelly's fastball. Uh, nothing that I feel comfortable like actually having a feeling on exactly right now. I watch it. It looks lively. High school hitters have a lot of trouble hitting it. Um, advanced high school hitters, too, have a lot of trouble hitting it, especially when yeah. he's mixing it in with his change. Texas, he's, he's probably facing some pretty good competition. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. And then on top of that, where I think that he gets hurt is his his third offering, which I believe is a slider, he doesn't spin all that well. So if you have two pitches that you, you are good with as a high schooler and a third one that you don't spin particularly well, those models tend to, you know, knock you down a couple levels. And I don't know exactly how intense that model is. I, I, I read a brief description, but um, my guess too would be that prep righties, just prep pitchers in general, not just righties, but prep pitchers who throw consistently in the upper 90s have a tendency to fizzle out pretty quickly. Uh, they're, they're, you know, right behind prep catchers uh, as the most likely group to, to not have the success that you would like if drafted uh, higher in the draft. So I'm not sure exactly how that goes into it, but especially particularly with Kelly, I think the issue is probably that he doesn't spin a third pitch particularly well. All right. So the next guy I looked at was JT Ginn. And he he's a guy who we mentioned earlier that he was kind of in that 18 to 24 mix, uh, right around the Cardinals pick at 21. Uh, but on the big data board, he drops into the 40s range. Wow. Wow, that surprises me. I would not have expected that. Now, without knowing the big board, you know, I – I think that we all kind of assume that it's going to take a pretty large um, bonus to get JT Ginn to uh, to a major league organization. He's a sophomore, and he's going to get a medical redshirt, which means he's going to be a sophomore again next year. Um, so he has nothing but leverage. Now, if he was drafted at twenty one, the Cardinals would give him the bonus, and he'd take it. I, I would. I, I don't know that for sure. That's. Uh, I'm definitely overreaching, but you know uh, the the twenty first pick comes with a pretty hefty price tag so don't you know if, if that were to happen i i wouldn't be surprised if you know a couple extra hundred thousand here and there gets it done uh yeah. i know that if i was in his position and somebody offered me 3.1 million dollars i'd you know <laughs> while i'm sitting out trying to nurse my uh my my tommy john surgery recovered arm i'd probably i'd probably run to it and then never pick up a baseball again in my life because i'm a coward <laughs> um but uh yeah, so uh, the, you know, my guess is that maybe that goes that maybe uh, goes into it. But you know, other than that, when I watch that fastball slider changeup com- combo of of Gin, I am impressed. You know, his mechanics get a little wonky uh, sometimes, but uh, there's been nothing. You know, he was he was drafted uh, in the 2018 draft, 30th overall by the Dodgers, and. He's gotten better since then. Uh, that was when he was a prep, a prep writing. Wait, He's, pause. You said thirtieth overall. Yeah, thirtieth overall in the first round. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And he's he's gotten better. Um, so I, I can't, I can't, I don't know exactly what they're saying. You know, maybe my guess is that it, now. I guess taking a step back, this is something I've heard Asa Lacy talk about before. Uh, sometimes the numbers get his fastballs mixed up his two seam and his four seam fastball and his fastball doesn't grade out. His four seam fastball does not grade out as well as his sinker. And he's actually scrapping the four seamer because of it. 
uh, not only because it doesn't grade out, but it doesn't get, it's not as effective as his other pitches. So maybe something's happening with, with Ginn there. Uh, maybe he throws, maybe along with his sinker, you know, he's throwing a four seam and that's kind of skewing his numbers. But other than that, you know, as athletic as he is, uh, aside from the durability concerns, all of his stuff is pretty, pretty darn nasty. So I can't, uh, I, I couldn't understand why he'd fall that much. Gotcha. Uh, speaking of guys that fall a lot from the top 101 normal to the big data one, uh, Jordan Walker, the third base, uh, third baseman, prep guy out of Georgia. He's only 17, it says here, and he's projected 25 in the top 101, but only 65 on the big data board. Um, I'm guessing it's probably due to lack of data. Yeah. He's, he's an interesting, he's an interesting guy. You know, uh, he's, he's a third baseman, a prep third baseman, six foot five, every bit of 220 pounds. He, now you were talking about it like a gym rat. That kid is a gym rat. He eats, sleeps and drinks baseball. He loves it. Um, I think the concern with someone like Jordan Walker is that he does, his swing gets pretty long sometimes, you know, he six foot five, that's a whole lot of body to control. Now he he's built, but you know, sometimes when you're swinging, I'm only like five foot 11. Uh, I can't imagine what it's like to have an, well, I'm not going to say that next line, uh, but I, I, it can't be easy to have big, long arms uh, as a prep. And I think sometimes the swing gets long and there's actually a ton of swing and miss concern uh, with, with uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Walker. Now, last year there was a draft pick named Reese Hines, big boy too, with serious, serious strikeout concern. I don't think Walker has that. Uh, I think that there are some people that even though he's super athletic and has a really, really strong arm, don't see him sticking at third. Maybe maybe the numbers back that up, and maybe that's what the, the analytical big board is saying. Uh, but, you know, for me, and also the other thing about him is he, he has supreme raw power, uh, but not – and it flashes in-game, but it's not exactly loud in-game. Uh, as loud as you would expect from somebody of his size with the raw that he has. So I would imagine that those numbers are probably telling you, you know, probably skewing his number on the big board. Okay. Uh, The other guy that dropped the most is a college outfielder uh, from LSU, Daniel Cabrera. He's seen as a top 30 prospect, uh, but in the big board, big data board, uh, drops into 68th. Um, So drops out of the first two rounds. You know, Cabrera is uh, just he's for me, he's tantalizing to watch because and this this actually makes me feel better because I have not been able to make my opinion up about that guy. Uh, the, the LSU outfielder, you know, uh, he's he's not athletic enough to play center. So he's going to be a corner, uh, which means that you need a little bit more offense there. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think I, he's a left handed bat, but I think ideally, you know, his offensive uh, upside is something similar to Stephen Piscotti. I don't, you know, maybe maybe a little bit, I don't know, like even a little bit more pop than that seems aggressive. Yeah, he doesn't use the whole field the way that the Stanford-educated Piscotti did. Um, you know, I think I think maybe you're talking about maybe if everything goes well that that you're seeing that type of, of uh, offensive production from a, a right fielder. Now, his, his arm's good enough to play right. He'll probably have to transition to left if he sticks in the majors for a long time, you know, uh, five, six, seven, eight years down the road. But his bat, he has great bat quickness. He covers a lot of the zone. He keeps the barrel in the zone long. 
And he does a particularly good job handling left-handed pitching as a left-handed hitter on the inner lower half. So I'm intrigued by that. Like that, those are all positive signs, but even when he hits home runs, it seems like all of his home runs are coming on that inner lower half. And it makes me wonder if when he's making contact, otherwise he might not be hitting it as hard and maybe, uh, the exit velocity and launch angle is what's dropping his uh, his value uh, on the on that particular board. Yeah, I'm t- he's there are a couple a couple outfielders, collegiate outfielders that I am equal parts confounded and tantalized by, and, and he's one of them. Uh, Jesse Franklin for for Michigan is another. Uh, Hudson Haskin for Tulane is another. Uh, there are just. This draft is so much fun, and it's going to be so much fun on Wednesday and Thursday, and uh, I'm just so excited about it. Awesome. All right. Uh, let's talk about Daniel Cabrera. Oh, no, wait. We just did that. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Mm. Let's talk about uh, – there's two more guys I have that are much lower on the analytical list. We're going to get to Zach Deloach later. Let's yeah. get to Gage Workman now. Ooh, Gage. Uh, Gage Workman is seen. Uh, he's a third baseman out of Arizona State. I see here only twenty though. Is he a sophomore? He is a sophomore. Yeah, uh, draft eligible sophomore. So he's got a little bit of leverage there. Um, if he goes thirty nine, like the top one award one hundred one board says, uh, he'd probably take that. I assume. Yeah, if yeah. If he goes seventy first, like the big Ooh. board says, does he take third round money? Mm, you know, I. Now, I guess there's a couple other qualifiers with Gage Workman that make him interesting. Is He's a switch hitter. He has a, a, a smoother swing left-handed than he has right-handed. He's a little bit more hands with his right hand uh, when he swings right-handed. But he is a switch hitter, and that's really, really interesting. And I, I don't think there's any coincidence that that's something that you know the Cardinals have tried to maybe draft a little bit more here and there. The other thing that's interesting about Gage Workman is he played a little bit of short in the Cape Cod League uh, over the summer. And there are some people that believe that Gage Workman's best chance of, of being an impact in the long term is to get him at short, which, you know, if we know anything about the Cardinals organization, say that they were to draft him at 70, um, I could see that. I could definitely see them, you know, say that baseball was going on normal, drafting him, letting him be a third baseman for the rest of the year, letting him work out uh, to be a shortstop and then moving him on as a shortstop with the hope for not only uh, long term shortstop success, but position versatility success in the long term. Uh, yeah, I would suggest that a player like that, you know, the Cardinals, I, I have that pool up right now. The Cardinals, uh, they have 906. The bonus at 70 is like $906,000. And my bet is that for a million bucks, you, you could probably get him. Uh, but I don't, I don't know if it's much less than that. Like that is, that kid is really interesting. He has huge swing and miss concerns. Uh, but with the switch hitting potential and the, the, the youth that he has ahead of him, how young he is, uh, I, I really like the athleticism with someone like Gage Workman. So, you know, to answer your question, uh, I would suspect that if you haven't seen him drafted uh, by 70, that means he's going, you know, teams know darn well that he's going back to college. But, you know, uh, l- let, me, let me look at it real fast. The, the, the difference between 70 and... Uh, in 54 is at 54, the Cardinals bonus pool is $1.33 million. And at 70, what do you say? 
What about at sixty three? Oh, that's it's a little under one point one million dollars at sixty three. Okay. So yeah, so you're talking sixty three. Then if you if he sees that million behind it, yeah. Yeah, and I would suspect that the Cardinals would probably be able to, like a team like the Cardinals, I, I want to preface it by saying I have not heard a lot about the Cardinals and Gage Workman, uh, but like I would suspect that like the Mets who take 69th overall, they have a bonus pool of 929. They could probably get that to a million dollars, and I'm sure a million dollars would lure him away from, from Arizona State. Um, but then again, you know, the thing about the thing about those Arizona State kids, and this is another thing that you keep in mind, is that a, that's a hitter's environment. And, right. you know, especially for as young as he is, if he were to re-enter the draft next year, he probably have some uh, some inflated numbers that, you know, outshine his shorted season numbers this year. Uh, so, again, that, that's where it becomes interesting. You know, in, in the past, he I would guarantee that he would get drafted by 70 or if he got drafted at 70, that whoever drafted him would end up finding a way to sign him. But now you just don't know, especially with how tight the owners come off narrative sorry <laughs> no worries um all right you ready to go the opposite route of who got guys that are higher on the analytical list oh yeah let's do it all right so heston kirstead uh as high as he is on the other list he's already at uh 18 so top 20 uh the big data board has him picking picked fifth oh wow that's awesome do you think that is reasonable? You you liked him as one of the best hitters in the draft. You said earlier, basically. Yeah, um, I uh, or I was I was least, asked. You I'm least sorry. Like how the pitchers in collegiate baseball think he's probably the best hitter in the draft. Yeah, and I've like, yeah I've watched a ton of him too. Uh, I you know he plays for he played for Team USA, uh, plays for Arkansas. There's you know Arkansas since they're in the SEC, it's easy to track down footage, especially if you have ESPN Plus. Um, it, I, I like him a lot. Now, again, there's he strikes out a lot, and there's a, a, a tough track record of people who strike out as much as he does being taken early, like performing at the next level. But I don't think there's much mechanical adjustment that need to get made. I, made. I think his swing is big and powerful. I think he's big and powerful. And that dude hits nukes. Like, he, he absolutely rocks the ball. And he doesn't have the all-fields power or, you know, he's left-handed swinging. Spencer Torkelson is right-handed swinging. He doesn't have the all-field power of Torkelson. He doesn't have uh, the swing of Torque. Um, but that's a pretty good collegiate bat with some pretty dang good power that uh, uh, I, 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 I could see why, especially the way he hits the ball. I mean, he smokes everything. And he does use the, you know, the, the left center field uh, to – he uses the left center field gap pretty well shortening down and with two strikes uh so i'm not surprised by that i, I like i like heston kirstead a lot um i was asked earlier in the week to give my top 10 and i think i uh, i think i had him eighth when i did my top my top 10 so uh yeah i like him a lot it makes a lot of sense to me all right since you brought up spencer torkelson um and since our last uh oh i'm blanking out real quick uh, oh, we talked about um, oh Arizona State. Gage Workman playing for Arizona State. Torkelson also plays for Arizona State. Do you think that part of why he's number one is anything to do with his inflated numbers, or do you think it's all the type of hitter that he really is? 
this is Torkelson's draft. Uh, he could have played. Okay. He could have played for anyone. You know, he he mashed for Team USA. He had a small sample in the Cape Cod uh, this year. Played in the Cape Cod the year before, I believe, and matched both years. Uh, that's okay. I mean, uh, I I like I've come to like Austin Martin more than I thought I would. Um, I, I still think he he has a good contact tool, but I think his hit tools maybe a little overrated. I think he finds hits, uh, uh, which I mean you, you still got to find hits, but I think that there's some BABIP luck there. Uh, but uh, there's no doubt in my mind that Spencer Torkelson should be the number one. That bat is something special. Awesome. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've read elsewhere like. Uh, I don't know if this has crossed your mind at all, but I read somewhere else where saying that probably the best draft bat since Chris Bryant. Mm. Yeah. Without thinking about it too hard. Uh, I, he's definitely better than Andrew Vaughn. I've seen some people talk about Andrew Vaughn. Like I say, definitely that's not fair. It's a lot closer than definitely would make you think, but uh, you know, he's, he, there's, there's a chance for something special there and there's a chance for a quick ascent to the major leagues. Okay. All right, you kind of mentioned Austin Wells. No, you you mentioned Austin Martin. Austin Wells, you mentioned earlier the catcher out of Arizona, um, not Arizona State, but uh, Tucson, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's only a twenty year old catcher. Uh, he is top. He's first round on the one hundred one big board, but in the big data board, he's thirteenth overall. Uh, why do you think that might be, and w- what do you know about him? It's the same thing, like. Um... Yeah. So you hear a lot of people talk about Austin Wells as kind of being like this year's draft version of Kyle Schwarber. Uh, and it's kind of a lazy comp. It's happening because he's a left-handed swinger who, um, you know, is a catcher, but isn't really a catcher um, who honestly blew up the Cape Cod over the summer. He was, he might've been one of the five best bats, 10 best bats in the Cape Cod uh, over the summer. And he's young. And he has a beautiful stroke, and he can do nearly everything that you would ask him to do with a baseball from both types of hands of pitchers. Um, but he's—he honestly is a terrible catcher. I, I, you know, I don't know much about catching. I've, I've talked about it before. And evaluating the defensive aspects of catchers, I am very, very poor at it, um, unless it's so obvious that I—it uh, it slaps me in the face. And like that—that's how you know. That's how you know, like you knew Carson Kelly was going to be a good defensive catcher. If he could just get comfortable Uh, that same feeling, you know, Austin Wells would have to do. I mean, I don't know if there's an amount of work that that kid could do to make him a good catcher. He is, he is an absolutely terrible catcher, Uh, but he's still like 20. So you talked about about Tyler Soderstrom being totally available to play third because of his athleticism. Is that Austin Wells or is he looking more at like first base DH left field type? To me, to me, I I don't view him as having, so part of the reason why I don't view him as a good catcher is I think he's terrible with his legs. You know, I think he's terrible going side to side out of the crouch. I think he's terrible getting down on pitches, Uh, getting out of his crouch. He seems a little slow. So I would not want him at a position where I need him to act quickly. Uh, so, you know, it might not be, if I guess if I were to draft him and I knew for sure that I was not going to keep him a catcher, I would not hesitate for one second to say, all right, Austin, uh, here's your off season. Let's see what it looks like. Come back. Let's be a third baseman. Um, but I think that more than likely you're talking about a kid who, who is a first baseman. He has a good arm, so maybe he can play right field. I've never seen it from the outfield, so I can't say for sure, but the first baseman left field type. 
Okay. Fair enough. Uh, you mentioned these next two guys already, uh, Nick Lofton and Dylan Dingler. Ah. Um, they are both very much more liked on the big data board. Uh, kind of funny. They are Lofton is 35th and Dingler's 36th on the top one Oh one, uh, Lofton, the shortstop out of Baylor jumps to 24. So right in that 21 range where the Cardinals could potentially get them with that first pick Dingler jumps to 17, right into the range where the Cardinals may not be able to get them even with their first pick. He's the catcher from Ohio state. Do you want to expound a little bit more on those two or. Yeah. Uh, let's start with Nick Lofton. Nick Lofton is a team USA kid, uh, a Cape Cod league kid plays at Baylor shortstop. He is going to be like, so, uh, you know, the Cardinals have Tommy Edmond, uh, uh, Tommy Edmond went to Stanford and so did the Cubs super utility player named Nico Horner. Uh, and in my mind, while he doesn't have the power of Nico Horner, Nick Lofton is kind of this year's draft version of Nico Horner. Um, maybe some combination of Edmund and Horner. Uh, he uses all fields, but part of the reason why I would assume that Lofton has found his way up the board, it, what we saw to him in the Cape and early on in 2020 is he found a way he's got a good quick swing. He uses all fields. He's not a big kid. He's only like six, one, uh, ish, but he started to learn how to turn on the inside pitch and use his bat speed and his, his full swing to generate power. Uh, all you have to do is Google search um, Nick Lofton, Minute Maid Park, and you'll see him hit a ball over what I call the pool holes train tracks at Minute Maid Park. Um, so he's, he's <laughs> learning to tap into his, his power. Uh, and that's, that is really, really intriguing. The same kind of thing happened with Nico Horner. Like you see the contact profile, you see the raw athleticism, you see the ability to play a couple different positions. You know, there's some people who wonder if a kid like Nick Lofton can stick it short. I have no doubt that if, uh, the 22 year old version of Paul DeYoung I saw can move from catcher to third, third in the Cardinals organization to short that Nick Lofton could stick it short uh, in, in this organization in particular. Um, but there's super utility aspect there that is, is like immediate. And if I'm speaking completely honest, Nick Lofton was one of these guys that I did not like. Uh, I, I didn't watch enough at first. And like, you kind of look at his stats and you kind of read about him a little bit. And then you, you kind of watch a little bit and you're like, oh, this guy's, he's fine. He's fine, but he's so boring. Like, uh, do not take this boring player at 21. But I, I'm going to be 100% honest. Like, that is a great pick at 21. I, I like him better than I like Justin Foscue, who is a player that's been rumored to go to the Cardinals a lot. Uh, I, I like him on a different level than Foscue. Mm -hmm. uh, he, again, I, I'm not to beat up on Foscue, but like, if you had to pick one of the two, you would take Nick Lofton all day, every day, in my personal opinion. Uh, so Nick Loft, that's like that's the appeal right. of Nick Lofton. Dingler, I like to see that Dingler. kid getting a. No, please. I was going to say I like to see him getting a little bit more love. Cool. Uh, Dingler is the other one. We've talked about a lot of catchers. Where does he fit in with the other catchers? Do you think he's more like the thirty-six or the seventeenth-rated type? I uh, I I honestly, whew, man. 
somewhere in between no uh so that, look his bat is really good and that athleticism is really interesting you know i uh, i kind of said off the cuff that he has that same type of athleticism that you see jt real muto have like that is a catcher who could steal 10 to 15 mm-hmm. bases like he has that type of athleticism you know i he's not as good of a runner as real muto is he, he runs well but he's not like he has kind of like when you watch him from behind and he's kind of like lumbering to first he kind of looks like ryan ludwick a little bit uh, but he he has more speed than that. He's a better runner than Ludwig ever was as a member of the Cardinals. But he has that kind of like build. And uh, like he has that athleticism that you can dream on and a really great left-handed swinging bat uh, that uses that can especially find that left field gap uh, on, you know, in pitchers counts, which is something that I love to look for. So uh, I, I like Dingler a lot. I, I still personally, because of how special he is defensively, uh, would put Patrick Bailey ahead of Dylan Dingler. Uh, watching watching Patrick Bailey call a game is something special. I mean, something special. Uh, and he, he also blocks, and he also has uh, a very, very interesting power tool. Um, but, like, right outside of that, if you're looking for something a little bit more of a sure thing than someone like Soderstrom, uh, you would do well to go to the Ohio State kid, Dylan Dingler. So much athleticism, quick bat, a power that is manifesting, was manifesting before the season short short ended. Uh, So he, again, two guys that I can definitely appreciate being higher up on the board than maybe where they're being forecasted to go. All right. The last guy I for sure want to talk about is, uh, that's a little higher on the big data board, is a right-handed pitcher out of Texas Tech. Uh, Clayton Beater, yeah. they have at 43 on their top 101, but they have them cracking the top 25 on their big data board. Why do you think that might be, or what do you see in the kid? Beater's one of these guys who it's breaking my heart to see everybody fall in love with. And the reason is when I first started doing like draft prep, I guess about two months ago, uh, before he was like really, really creeping up boards, I watched that kid and I thought, holy cow, that is something special. Now, you do a little research about Clayton Beater and you find out that he had uh, Tommy John as a fr- or, uh, before he found his way to Texas Tech um, and then pitched out of, the, out of relief. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, track record for Clayton Beater before the beginning of this year, but he kind of throws over the top and he has those tree trunk-like, Ryan Helsley-like thick legs that I really enjoy in a pitcher. Uh, he's definitely lower half strong, comes over the top and drops a true 12 to 6 curveball, uh, and he mixes it in with a slider and a changeup uh, to go with his 92 to 97 mile an hour lively fastball. And uh, that, I mean. Is, is that a four seamer or a two seamer? I'm almost 100% sure it's a four seamer. Okay. As a matter of fact, like his slider is more, it's more slurvy than Helsley's cutter. But I, I think there's an argument to be made that they're two very similar pitchers. Uh, I don't think now, Beater. I think I think I think Beater's got it up to 99. Uh, I, I'm not 100 percent sure. I don't think he has a capability of keeping that velocity the way that Ryan Helsley did as a starter. We talked about that before, where in the first inning Helsley would hit 94, 95, 93, and then by the sixth inning he was hitting 99, 98. So to see him do it, you know, out of the bullpen first off concerns me a little bit. Uh, but also, like, it goes to show you how dynamite that arm is. Uh, I, I've said it before about Helsley that his changeup is criminally underused, as is his curveball. 
uh, where with Helsley, his cutter is used a little bit more frequently. That is Clayton Beater's curveball. Uh, that curveball is something special. Uh, it's dangerous, and it, he just mixes it so well with his slider and changeup. So, you know, my guess is that fastball spins crazy. My guess is that slider spins crazy. My guess is that curveball spins crazy, and my guess is that's why he found his way up that list. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense, especially if it's a four seamer that you can pitch up high, followed by that 12 to six curveball with the high spin rate. I yeah. can get that. And that's how he's used uh, it. And that's why he's had, a, I mean, he went from relieving last year to being a starter early on, but he was as good of a starter as you'll find in the nation before the season was shut down. Okay. All right. So I'm going to give you a big list of kids here uh, that are higher on the analytical list than on the the top 101. I want you to just pick, uh, just keep it to one or two that you are really impressed with and would like to see the Cardinals consider. Okay. So Carson Tucker, Christian Roa, Alex Santos, David Calabrese. Uh, you've already mentioned Nick Garcia, so not him. Uh, Burl Carraway. Cal- uh, you've already mentioned a couple of these guys. Uh, Jared Schuster, Seth Lonsway, Markevian Henson, and Isaiah Green. If I had anybody to, that sticks out to you, if I had to pick one of those guys, it, uh, uh, let me work backwards real fast. If I had to pick one of those guys I don't like, it's Christian Roa. Uh, Christian Roa is a Texas A&M kid. He throws four or five pitches okay, but that kid gets beat up, uh, and it's like he allows a lot of hits, and it's really interesting because his stuff is better than the hits that he allows. And some of the damage that he allows as well. Uh, it commands his stuff really well. Doesn't walk an excessive amount, but he's like the one guy on that list that I'm not big on. The other guy that I'm not big on is uh, Burl Caraway. Uh, Burl Caraway is the lefty uh, from Dallas Baptist who strikes out like 52 or 55 or 100 percent of lefties that he sees, uh, but he 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 does not. He, he gets a good amount of strikeouts. Major League Baseball moved away from the loogie roll, so that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's my thing, and that's exactly where I'm stuck here. Now he he does strike out righties at a pretty a pretty outstanding clip, but he walks like five guys per inning, and he's a pure relief pitcher. And mm. you know you're talking about drafting a guy, and now he could be he has he has filthy stuff. He has terrible command, but he has absolutely filthy stuff. Uh, but that's like. If I'm going to spend a top 70 pick or a top 93 pick, I'm not going to go for the lefty who can't throw a strike, even if I feel comfortable that I can fix his mechanics or I can get him in front of a Rapsodo and help him. Like, not in this day and age, not with the death of the loogie to fall back on. Like, that's that's not my cup of tea. So those are like those are the two guys there that I'm not high on. If he falls out of the top 100 to the fourth or fifth rounder, do you take him? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, realistically, depending on what the board would look like at 93, I'd, I'd probably say, yeah, maybe at 93, like, okay, I feel like I can, can, I can streamline his mechanics. I feel like I can get him throwing more strikes. The rest of my board isn't really as intriguing with the upside that this kid has. Uh, and he's also had a lot of success while walking a ton of people uh, against some pretty amazing competition. So yeah, maybe you, you kind of take a step back and you're like, all right, all right, uh, this, this makes a lot of sense. Um, I'll take him at 93, but not, not with those, not in the top 70, not for me at least. All right. So now that leaves us with still a pretty long list here. Um, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) 
No, no worries. Carson Tucker is a prep shortstop. Alex Santos, a prep right-handed pitcher. Yeah. Uh, Calabrese is an outfielder oh. from Canada. Okay. Oh, from yeah. Canada. You'd love yeah. your Canadians. With yeah, there's, Tyler a, there's, there's another kid named Owen Casey who is also a uh, Canadian born and I am a big fan of both of them. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm okay. looking at, I'm looking at your list. You have Jared Schuster, who is a left-handed pitcher out of Wake Forest, Seth Lonsway, who is a left-handed pitcher out of Ohio state, uh, Markevious Hentz, who is a prep righty and Isaiah green, who is actually a, um, a Missouri commit who is a prep outfielder. And honestly, like I like all of them for different reasons. Uh, Carson Tucker is on the list. Like you said, prep shortstop, Alex Santos, prep righty. Um, if I had to pick one, I've really like Jared Schuster is the most likely to make it to the majors of that group. Like, uh, you know, he's he did a lot to improve uh, his stock, streamline his mechanics, uh, uh, got his his fastball velocity up, um, kind of did similar to what Griffin Roberts did before the Cardinals drafted Griffin Roberts. Uh, you know, Griffin Roberts being the righty, Schuster being a lefty. Um, but uh, uh, like he's interesting there. I like Calabrese. Uh, I think he hasn't tapped into his power yet, uh, but it will come. He is a true center fielder with a strong arm. Like you could almost see that turning into something that we've seen out of Harrison Bader, maybe not with that kind of arm. Um, Markevious Hence is a kid that I was watching a lot today. Uh, he uh, he's an Arkansas commit. He is a big righty. He's only like six foot one, but when I say he's a big righty, I mean, he has a big arm. It is a big fastball with a big slider and a changeup that just needs a little bit more control. But there is a ton of athleticism, uh, uh, a really great like arsenal to build upon. So honestly, if I if I was taking a chance with one of those guys, hence would would I mean if Schuster at fifty four would be amazing. I doubt he's there at fifty four. Hence would be a guy to keep an eye on. As would uh, outfielder Isaiah Green. That swing of his is a, a thing of beauty. Um, Santos is really interesting. The prep righty, uh, his dad owns uh, a pitching lab. So he's been able to track himself and continue oh, to nice. throw. Yeah, exactly. Continue to throw through the pandemic, which a lot of people, I mean, from day one of the pandemic, which a lot of people haven't been able to do. Carson Tucker is the younger brother of Cole Tucker, who is a middle infield prospect in the pirates organization. Uh, there's been a lot of talk lately about Carson Tucker, Tucker finding his way into the first round because he's willing to maybe take an underslot signing bonus to get into the first round, which you don't hear that often of prep uh, prep players. But he's super athletic, has a frame that you can definitely see, like adding 20 to 25 more pounds easy without even trying. He works out because of his brother. Like, I think he's worked out with Mike Trout. I think he's worked out with, uh, um, mm. yeah, like he's he has the connections and he works out with all those kids so that's really interesting uh of the guy the other guys i, I like to i was just going to try to hit on them all like seth Lonsway, the lefty uh from ohio state is really interesting because he's worked hard to streamline his mechanics he can throw about 94 90 94 he's six foot four great size has a great secondary offering but he's one of these guys who like he just He'll show up to the park, and, and I, 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 I'm going to rephrase that. He just doesn't have it some days. There's no explaining it. He just doesn't have it. And then all of a sudden, through two innings, he's walked eight. And you're like, what the hell did I just see? Uh, and then the next start will be – the next start – yeah, I was going to say, the next start will be somewhere in between something great and something average. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. 
so to kind of transition, since we had Isaiah Green, who is committed to the University of Missouri, uh, one more thing I'm always interested in. So this question is directly from me. I've heard nobody else ask this. Um, are there any players from Missouri, whether that's Mizzou, Missouri State, high school or otherwise, that you know of that should be considered throughout the draft, either for the Cardinals or another team that would be totally be acceptable as a top five round pick? Yeah, Ian Bedell is uh, the easy answer. You know, uh, Bedell had a great turn in the Cape Cod League. Most teams, uh, most, I guess, sites have him ranked between like 80 and 110. So he's definitely going to get drafted. You know, he he doesn't walk a lot. Uh, he commands stuff pretty, pretty well. He's athletic for his size. He's like six foot two, 200 pounds. Um, you know, he throws... I guess his makeup is really like where he's plus. Like he doesn't have, he has good athleticism. He's, he's confident. Uh, he has good control, good makeup. You know, when he's starting, you're talking about a kid who's probably not going to throw faster than 93 in a start. Um, his changeup, he plays well off of the fastball. It probably has like, you know, above average movement, but has the potential to play maybe a little bit higher because of how he uses it off the fastball. Um, and then he throws a spike curveball that I, I, I was not I was not a good baseball player. But when I used to throw my spike curve, it used to be more slurvy. That happens to him sometimes, and it actually kind of uh, makes it more effective for him sometimes. But what what Ian Bedell has is command and confidence, uh, and the ability to work three pitches off of each other. So he's going to get drafted. You know, look for him to get drafted probably in the third round. Uh, maybe a little bit earlier than that, if he ends up, uh, uh, you know, maybe taking a, a lower, um, a, a lower slot assignment. Uh, Trey Dillard, right-handed pitcher uh, for Mizzou. Again, uh, he has command issues. Uh, he's a bullpen option. Uh, he pitched. He was our closer. Pitched really well out of the bullpen. Uh, there's some thoughts about maybe his fastball doesn't have a good spin rate because it's pretty flat, but he can get it up to like. 96 99 it's heavy it's a, i believe it's a sinker because it's super heavy it's kind of like a bowling ball um he has a potential to throw a plus slider um I, I you're talking about more than likely a kid who if you're going to draft him you just go ahead and make him a, a reliever right away i don't see him i don't see him going in the top five rounds unless teams again are trying to get super uh uh cute with their draft pool you know he was a former juco kid so there is a little bit of a book on him that, you know, maybe because he went from Juco to Mizzou, uh, knowing that he might be in the bullpen long term, maybe he takes, you know, half of a pool and ends up getting drafted in the fourth or fifth round. Uh, there's a kid, there's a kid um, from the, the um, uh, Kansas City area, and he has a name I'm going to butcher, but his name is Jacob Mizorowski, I think. And I know nothing about this kid. Uh, I wasn't, I was just tipped off on him maybe about a week ago. Uh, he's six foot six. He's 190. Uh, and I know that there's been some buzz about him potentially. He's one of these guys that a lot of people thought that they could sneak, like sneak into their draft, onto their draft boards. Um, that doesn't seem like they're sneaking, being able to sneak onto their draft boards. I think a lot of people thought that he might be like a, um, uh, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to blink. Um, <laughs> Oh God! Uh, the the kid from Missouri State who went fifth overall to Washington like ten years ago. I, I actually met him at a party at Missouri State. It would have been 
it would have been like 10 years ago. And he, he went out of baseball for a while and then um, uh, found his way back pitching out of the bullpen. And I can't think of what his name is. Uh, but like he, he could be something like that. Uh, good kid, though. Okay. Uh, and then the, the last the last name worth keeping an eye on, in my personal opinion, is a kid named Connor Ash. Uh, again, another bullpen strictly arm. Uh, has command issues, has serious command issues, but he led the Cape Cod League in strikeouts, mostly because of his power slider. Uh, he had 41 strikeouts in the Cape Cod League. Super power slider. It is definitely a plus pitch, but he has command issues that he needs to work on and also a very slight frame. I don't think I could be wrong, but I don't think that kid's six foot tall. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So at this point, I want to do a question that we had on Twitter earlier from Dan Buffa. Um, he said, uh, well, actually, I want to do this first. So I, I don't know, a few years ago, I guess it was 2014 when Monte Harrison was drafted by the Milwaukee Brewers. He was uh, actually... I think he's on the Marlins now. He was in a deal that went to the Marlins for Christian Yelich. But he came out of the Kansas City area. And he played about eight minutes from where I live, like walking from where I live one day. And I went up and did a little scouting trip on him. So I know what I very rudimentally looked for, you know, when he was playing. Uh, I just kind of looked to see if he or there was a kid named Alex Lang who – He's a pitcher now for, I, I believe, the Cubs organization. Yeah. But he went to the same high school as Harrison, but he didn't pitch that day. So I didn't get to look at what Lang had that day. But um, I got to look at Harrison, and and I looked for just the main five tools that you think of when you think of scouting. Um, Buffa wants to know, what's the first thing that jumps out to you about young players? Is it a specific talent or something more complex than that when you go into – uh, just looking at tape on guys. So when it comes to a hitter, and this is going to sound crazy, but a lot of times what I will do is I won't even watch a, a hitter. I, I'll listen to a hitter. And I know that that's kind of a weird thing. And But like somewhat the reasons that one of the reasons why Zach Veen has found his way up, up to the top of everyone's draft board is because he mashes. But there isn't an audio clip that you'll find of Zach Veen where he isn't absolutely making that noise, that special noise that only special hitters can make uh, because they have something special in the way they swing the bat. So believe it or not, a lot of times with prep, prep players in particular, when I'm listening, when I'm watching their video, the first time I don't actually even watch. Uh, that is that's just something I do. Uh, I, don't, I don't always use that as the catalyst for my my interest in that player but that is honestly as weird as that sounds the first thing that i always do i i i listen to to, to see i guess not see i listen with the hope that i can hear something special uh and then other than that like i want to see athleticism uh, from a hitter i want to see uh i, I want to see like a quick bat i i don't want to see um jittery mechanics and when I, I don't mean like how they how they come to the plate, how they move, or what they do with the bat. Like I, I don't want to see too much uh, motion in their swing. You know, uh, with pitchers, I want to I want to feel like I don't know what's coming. That's kind of what I look for, especially with the prep kids. Like it gets a little different with college, but with the prep kids in particular, and I feel like that's more uh, of what Dan's asking here. Like I'm looking for polish as much as possible. 
Um, you know, especially with, with prep pitchers, you're not going to get consistency. You know, one of the kids we talked about, Jared Kelly, we, we talked about his breaking pitch. And there are times when all of a sudden Jared Kelly will spin a breaking pitch and you'll be like, all right, that is something special. Uh, so you have to look for that. And you have to project that. Uh, but what you're looking for is repeatability. You're looking for uh, making sure they're they're masking their pitches as best as at least I am making sure they're masking their pitches as best as possible. Make sure that they have full control of their repertoire. Um, kind of a quick aside, one of the reasons why I was always concerned about uh, um, uh, Michael Waka after he got hurt with the scapula the first time was because when he would throw, he'd get swings and misses, but he would never hit the glove. And he might live in the strike zone and he might get on the corners, but he would never hit the glove. So a lot of times with pitchers, what I'm looking for is I'm looking for catcher movement to see what catchers are doing. Uh, you know, those are, I guess, without like getting like deep into it, when I'm just evaluating uh, without looking at like how they run and what they throw, like, of course, you're looking for, you're looking for how quickly they get out of the box, how quickly they get through the bases. You're looking for their arms. You're looking for the reads they get in the outfield or the infield, their first step, what direction it is and how they take it. You're looking for all of that. But those the things that I mentioned before are just some of like the small kind of nuanced things that I'm personally keeping an eye out for. Yeah. That uh, read in the outfield was the thing that got me most about Monte Harrison. I, uh, I mean, 2014 wasn't too long after Jim Edmonds left St. Louis. And I always remembered announcers talking about how Edmonds played such a shallow center field. And so something I looked for was Monte Harrison played a really shallow center field. Like Park Hills has a huge field. Mm. Um, I, I don't know the dimensions off the top of my head, but it is a, uh, I would be surprised if people hit the ball out of that stadium very often. And Harrison, I, I remember vividly, like there was a play early in the game where I went, Oh, that's a single up the middle because this was a sinking liner that would have landed 40 or 50 feet behind second base is all. And Harrison caught it catching, caught it standing up. Uh, like it was just one of those things that part of it, yeah, that's as his athleticism. Yeah. Part of it was it was read off the bat, but he also played a very shallow center field, and and you had to have all three of those things for that. Um, I remember uh, there were just a few things watching him that stood out about his athleticism. It was it was pretty pretty remarkable that that those things just stood out like that. Um, I remember there was one he he kind of smashed a ball to third, and uh, the guy knocked it down, and before he could even corral it, Harrison's on first base. Yeah. Um, and then uh, and that's exciting, right? Like when you see that, like yeah, yeah, and then it's almost like there's a feel. It's not even what you've watched; it's how you feel. Yeah, yeah. He he was yeah. Um, trying to think of another one uh i'm reading back through my write-up of it just to help me remember but oh, that's uh, awesome yeah he uh i know that he stole multiple bases that day but like i, I want to say one of them was off the starting catcher he stole second base without a throw uh but <laughs> that was a read off the pitcher that wasn't the catcher um but the starting catcher got tossed from the game and the backup came in and he stole second pretty easily and then on the first pitch. So he was on first base, backup catchers, and he takes second in a heartbeat. 
they pitch out with a lefty at the plate and Harrison steals third. That's amazing. God, that gets me so excited, man. I'm not lying. I mean, I, I was sitting right behind the plate and I was really, really trying hard not to laugh. (laughs) I really. (laughs) Yeah. Like you say that. And part of the reason why, like, I don't even like, I get, it gives me chills. Like, it's just, you know, that like, that's, you know, that you have a special athlete there. Sometimes it's not necessarily like, it's just watching the game and, and knowing when you've seen something special, as crazy as that sounds, I'm sure you're looking for things, but sometimes it's, it's waiting to feel something special. Yeah. All right. Well, Dan, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, Dan, uh, thank you for, thank you for taking part. All right. Uh, Okay, so in Major League Baseball, for those people that are listening to this that might be unaware, um, typically with how long it takes players to get to the majors, you don't draft for need in the majors due to that. Um, However, do you see any type of need in the Cardinals organization that they might try to fill? For example, I know in the past, like this past year, They've really tried to solidify the high-end lefty pitcher portion of the minors. Do you see any need in that aspect? I wouldn't be surprised if we still see the Cardinals go after left-handed hitting and left-handed pitching. I still think that, not necessarily that I think that there's a a substantial need, because I'm not necessarily one of these people who uh, overvalue that. Um, But I do think that the Cardinals are still in pursuit of more left-handedness and as we talked about like gauge workman earlier it makes me wonder if maybe they they look towards the switch hitting route a little bit more for that you know that very reason um i i think that the glaring and obvious concern uh, with the st louis cardinals organization you know down in the minors is just the middle infield right because uh you have edmundo sosa who is you know a super utility player probably at best with a little bit of pop off the bench uh, and then you have, you know, at the low end, you have Mateo Gill. And then in the middle end, you have Delvin Perez. And then you have maybe a couple guys who could perform in a utility role. Like, I like Irving Lopez. I think Evan Mendoza, if given a chance to play short on a regular basis, could probably handle short uh, less than spectacularly on a regular basis. But uh, aside from that, the one area where they are lacking as compared to others is uh, left-handed or left hand, sorry, I can't get over the left handed thing. Is is like somebody, somebody who you know who can play short for sure. Somebody with high upside, a shortstop ability, um, and, and and you know short second. So I would say that if you're looking at like where their weakness is, that's where you go. You know they got they've got some they've got a good catching crop. They've got a good group of third basemen. They've got still have outfielders even if you're subtracting the six guys who are on the forty man. Uh, they have. Left-handed pitching, they have right-handed pitching. Uh, you, I would like to see a little bit more high upside right-handed pitching, uh, to be honest. Uh, th- that wouldn't be bad, but I don't think that they necessarily view it that way. Um, but yeah, that, that's where I would, I would look. I would say that if they decided that they had one player that uh, filled a need versus that was a, a middle, like if they had one player uh, on their board who was like 100th overall, drafting at 122, who was a utility infielder uh, who you felt comfortable could play at short, but also an outfielder who was like 
96th overall that I wouldn't be surprised if they go in the direction of the utility player um, at, at that spot. Could that be like a Carson Tucker or Trey Cruz that you mentioned earlier? So there's a couple guys that I really like. Uh, Xavier Warren, as I mentioned a little war- earlier ago from Central Michigan, he's he, he, he doesn't have the hitting profile that even the collegiate version of Paul DeYoung had, but he definitely has that athleticism that DeYoung has. Uh, maybe even more. He's probably more athletic than DeYoung was at the time, but that's a guy who has played center. He's played catcher. He's played shortstop. Uh, he's a switch hitter. And I'd be willing to bet everything that I had that if you had him stay at shortstop over the long term, that he would stick. Um, you know, later on in the draft, you know, 93rd overall, maybe that's a guy you target. Uh, another guy that I like is uh, Hayden Cantrell from University of Louisiana uh, Lafayette. He too is a switch hitter. Had a, both of those guys, uh, uh, Warren and Cantrell, had big Arizona Fall Leagues. Like, a standout Arizona Fall Leagues. Those are two guys that I particularly like for that role, guys that I would like to see the Cardinals target at 93 uh, and maybe get lucky and hope that he, they, those guys fall to 123 and maybe, you know, you get lucky, you can get both of them, depending on what the board looks like. Um, and then, you know, Trey Cruz is another switch hitter. I, I'm glad you brought him up. I, I like Trey Cruz. And I couldn't, I don't know why, I couldn't think of Jose Cruz Jr. And it's funny, he's the son of Jose Cruz Jr., and I, I'm so embarrassed because I remember when I was a kid and Jose Cruz Jr. was a big thing. He was supposed to be the next Ken Griffey Jr. And it just never panned out. I remember when his, his baseball cards were like super hard to find and super expensive. But yeah, Trey Cruz is the son of Jose Cruz Jr. I went to Rice. He too had a really, really monstrous Arizona Fall League. So like those are just a couple guys that, you know, between 19 or 93 rather uh, and, and 122 that you could see the Cardinals like and investing in uh but you know nick lofton is probably your best bet at like that shortstop uh if you're gonna if you're going to go in that direction at 21 because he and jordan westberg are uh, probably the two that would fit there you know again justin foskey is one of the guys who everybody uh, has mocked to the cardinals and there's reason why they are mocking him to the cardinals uh, it, it's like a little known secret. I've heard it from about 50 different people, how much interest the Cardinals have in Justin Foscue. Um, but I think that there's a better use of the 21st overall pick than Justin Foscue. Uh, and I don't think Foscue or Lofton or Westberg make it to 54. So I, I like, I, I really truly like a lot of the guys that you might be able to get at pick 70 or 93 or 123 uh, at that value spot. All right, so I'm going to add another name to that, and that's going to kind of slide into what we were going to talk about next anyway. Um, So earlier, I kind of talked about how I feel like you basically create your own lists without looking at others, Mm -hmm. uh, just like you do with your Dirty 35 every year. Um, And is there anybody out there that you feel like you're a lot higher on or lower on than the general consensus? And I'm going to combine that with the one other thing. Um, So you had the privilege of joining Prospects Live for a Periscope mock draft a few weeks ago. And it was really cool. Um, If people haven't seen that, they should definitely look for it. I I don't know if it got put up on YouTube or if you can, where you can find it still, but um, uh, maybe Kyle has more info on that, but uh, it was really cool to see all these uh, very esteemed uh, people who talk about prospects on Twitter, do their thing. 
and talk about prospects on Periscope with the Prospects Live guys. At 63 overall, so that's the Cardinals' third pick. At 63 overall, you took high school shortstop Harold Cole. Or Cole? Cole. It's Cole. Um, Cole. Okay, good. It's C-O-L-L, but it's pronounced Cole. Okay. Everybody praised you for that pick there. Mm -hmm. Do you think that Major League Baseball teams are valuing him as highly as you do, or everybody on that Periscope seemed to do? Uh, If so, do you think he'll be there at 63 still? Or if not, do you think he could still be there at 70 or even 93 uh, as one of those guys that maybe you're just higher on? Yeah, I'd wager... Uh, I'd wager everything that at 70 and maybe even 93, he's there. Um, Harold Cole is the type of talent that really, really kind of gets screwed because of how this draft is going to go. And because of what's happened uh, with the, you know, the, the pandemic, Uh, Harold Cole uh, in showcases leading up to this coming, this, this season, um, which he didn't even get to play in. uh, He goes to Georgia premier Academy. But leading up to the season, uh, scouts had concerns about him. Uh, he was 165. He showed good athleticism, ha- had a strong arm, uh, had you know really, really quick bat, had great athleticism, but there was holes in his swing, and he needed a lot of physical work along with baseball work to become something, something else. So this offseason, he adds 20 pounds of muscle. I mean, it's true muscle on an amazingly strong frame. Uh, and he already has that present, um, uh, that present uh, athleticism. So what ends up happening is he does all of this work. Uh, he gets his arm strong, elite arm strength, uh, elite athleticism. I, I, I mean, for a, for a high school kid, a prep kid, uh, elite um, uh, exit velocities, uh, bat speed, uh, there, there, there are so many elite things, but he doesn't get a chance to show it off in game. Uh, the, the PBR 60, uh, he did get to show off there a little bit, but it was only enough to like make people like myself who try to uh, uh, keep an eye on this stuff, like entice us. And it's not the kind of thing that in a five round draft that you're going to see a lot of teams get aggressive with, especially when teams are concerned about bonus pool money and making the best of five rounds of a draft. Now, I know for a fact there's a handful of teams that are in on him. Um, I don't know about the Cardinals for sure at all. Uh, but, like, as I mentioned that night, and by the way, you can find that on YouTube uh, to, to answer your question. Uh, you can find that the draft on YouTube. Um uh, that night I said, go find that as soon as you're done listening to this, go find that. Yeah. It's, it's four hours. And I know that that seems a lot, but if you want to know everything about the draft, uh, do that because they interview everybody and they give in-depth scout, not in-depth, but quick scouting reports on each player. And it's super interesting and fun. And all those guys are brilliant. Uh, I was honestly the dumbest person involved in it and I showed it for sure. But, uh, he, uh, you know, he gets, he gets screwed kind of because of how things have gone. Uh, but that is the kind of kid that if there were 10 rounds in the draft, he'd get drafted, no doubt. Uh, he'd get a big bonus, and somebody would end up reaping the benefits of his, his athletic rewards. I said that night, and that's what I was getting at, I forgot. But I said that night that, like, I'm not the world's biggest Trajan Fletcher fan. Uh, I, I don't particularly like him. I think he was drafted 56th or 58th overall last year. I don't particularly like that because he's more athleticism than he is actual baseball player. 
And I think Harold Cole is kind of what I want Trajan Fletcher to be. You know, he still has, he has that type of athleticism. It's not as high as Fletcher. Fletcher's a different kind of athlete, uh, but with visible baseball skills that aren't just carried by his tremendous athleticism. And, you know, I just hope that somebody just that, just that built-in baseball acumen. Kind that's of it. Thing. That's it. Yeah. That's, you know, like the, and you and I have kind of talked about it a little bit, but the Cardinals in the 12th round out of IMG Academy last year took Patrick Romeri, who is an outfielder who doesn't have mm-hmm. nearly the athleticism that Trajan Fletcher has. But uh, again, like it's when I watch a player, I want to see that they have the basic fundamentals of, of baseball underneath them. And when I watch Trajan Fletcher, he has a, he has the strongest fundamentals of athleticism. He's that guy who is always the last person out at capture the flag or, uh, 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 you know, dodgeball. Like he's a kid in high school that you hated because he was the most athletic human being. Uh, he's a kid who could probably hit a home run tomorrow, not play baseball for 40 years and then hit a home run in his first at bat back. Like he has that type of athleticism. He's just, he, he's that athletic beast. It's just that like, you watch him taking a bat and he, he hits the ball far, but you realize that it's based solely on luck. And like that concerns me, you know, he, he's in the outfield and he gets, he gets terrible reads on balls and he gets terrible jumps. He jumps, but he jumps in the wrong direction. Uh, and like, you can see that, Oh man, if, if he can just put that all together, like then, then we have something here, but I, I just see such a long distance and I get worried where with somebody like Harold Cole or Patrick Romeri, like that gap, to getting to their ceiling, uh, even though with someone like Harold, well, even with someone like Patrick Romeri, whose ceiling isn't as high as Trajan Fletcher's, uh, uh, it's just, it's so much shorter than what you see. Like Harold Cole is not that large step that Trajan Fletcher was a year ago. Now I've gotten nothing but positive reports about what Trajan Fletcher did this off season uh, uh, in preparation for the draft for, you know, what was going to be a, a pretty strong minor league season for him. You know, nothing but positives about the work he's put in and some of the mechanical changes and all that stuff. Uh, but there's still a long distance, even if he takes a huge developmental step. And, uh, you know, with someone like Harold Cole, if he takes a huge developmental step, then, you know, you're talking about uh, something special for sure. Whereas with someone like Trajan Fletcher, sure. taking a huge developmental step is still like there's still room to grow. Okay, understandable. All right, uh, I'm going to go two more questions, and then I've got to get out of mm-hmm. here. Uh, this is already uh, sitting at almost two hours. So, <laughs> um, All right, so at in that same Prospects Live Periscope mock draft, I'm kind of working my ba- way backwards here. I figure by the time you get to 63 or beyond anyway, you're looking at uh, a crapshoot, a luck of the draw on who's there. Yeah. Um, if we work our way backwards towards the beginning, uh, we're getting a little, uh, slightly more defined at least, um, at number 54, you got Mississippi state shortstop, Jordan Westberg, who you mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, once you get anywhere close to that point, a plethora of people could be available or could not be available. Uh, did you really like that choice? Uh, if he's there, would you take him again if you're the Cardinals or do you remember there being anybody taken in that like 45 to 53 range right ahead of the Cardinals that you were just like, oh, that's who I wanted? No, the, I mean, honestly, at that spot, the two guys that I was kind of focused on were Harold Cole and uh, Jordan Westberg. Um, I, I did, I think Gage Workman won a couple picks before that. Um, a couple, like maybe 10 picks before that, Bryce Jarvis and Cole Henry went back to back. 
And that crushed my soul. Although I didn't really have expectations that they'd get to me at 54. But I really like Cole Henry, although he has a history of arm troubles, which is a concern. And I love Bryce Jarvis. Like I would, I would not be mad if the Cardinals drafted Bryce Jarvis 21st overall. That's how much I like Bryce Jarvis. It's almost irrational how much I like him. Uh, but as far as Westbrook goes, like he's a six foot three athlete who will stick it short. Like some people say he might have to move to third, but they're only looking at his size and projecting him to third. He can play short. He's going to stick it short. He has a good arm. He has good athleticism. He has good lateral movement. Uh, He he has his footwork is really good. Um, Where the questions come in is his strikeout rate. And, you know, he still strikes out maybe a little too much. He has raw power that didn't really manifest until this year uh, before the season ended. Um, But he's done a good job year after year at Mississippi State of lowering that strikeout rate which is a positive. It still was too high, uh, but he, he's just such a good baseball player. His, they, he, as a shortstop, and Justin Foscue, the second baseman, make up the best middle infield in college. And it's funny to watch the two of them because Westberg is clearly the better athlete. Foscue is clearly like the more traditionally better hitter. And really what separates the two is their timing mechanism. Westberg has kind of a like a slide leg kick where Foscu has a typical like big, not it's not huge, but he has a big leg kick. And the two of them, if they just kind of met in the middle, each of them, I think that they'd both be better served with their mechanics. And it's so funny that, you know, they're, they're on the diamond together. There's a double play combo. And like, when I watch the two of them, like they just, they need to meet in the middle somewhere to maximize both of their, their hitting potential. Uh, but I, if, if Westberg is there at 54, unless you know, some by some miracle, someone else is there. Westberg at 54 would be the steal of the draft. Uh, he was there, and I almost didn't pick him because it didn't seem it didn't seem it seemed so unrealistic. Uh, but that is like that's a six foot three athlete who can play shortstop with power to all fields. Uh, that was really really working to to become a more complete hitter in recognizing pitches that had hurt him in the past. So speaking of unrealistic gets at 21, you chose catcher Patrick Bailey out of North Carolina State. Uh, you seemed really stoked that he fell that far to you. Um, in your write-up for him, you linked four different sites that had him ranked 9th, 11th, 14th, and 17th. Uh, Prospects Live has him ranked 16th and 11th on their two boards. Um, doesn't sound like we're going to get him at 21. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't. Are you uh, just like over the moon? So I, uh, I would be really happy with with that if it were to happen. As you mentioned, I don't think it happens. But there's two things that this draft has a, a pretty strong quantity of, and it's catchers and collegiate pitching. And I guess where the thing gets kind of interesting with Bailey. You know, people worry about his contact tool, his hit tool. And, I, you know, it's it's a traditional hit tool. I, I try to preface it with contact tool because I think that your average baseball fan would be a little bit more familiar with, like, a contact tool as opposed to a hit tool. Uh, but he has raw power from both sides of the plate as a switch hitter. And, like, you could see him kind of being like a switch hitting version of Mike Zunino, but maybe a better defensive catcher. Uh, but because of that, because of the concerns with this hit tool – 
and all of the other really, really interesting catchers. And then with teams like the Orioles and the Marlins and the Rays having a lot of early picks. Now, the Rays picked 24th, but like the Orioles and the Marlins in particular, not to say that the Orioles or the Marlins would take Patrick Bailey that early, but it kind of changes the draft board a little bit as you work down. Anyways, what I'm getting at is with, with teams with early picks, I wouldn't, I would be surprised, but I also wouldn't be surprised if some teams say, well, I have Tyler Soderstrom or Kevin Parada or Drew Romo or Dylan Dingler or uh, Daniel Susak or Kale Emshoff or, uh, even Jack Bolger, who is a little ways away. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if one of them said that I've got this catcher in a similar spot uh, graded out-wise as Bailey, so I might pass on him hoping and thinking that I can get whoever that other catcher is if I need a catcher or if I want a catcher um, with my second round. Get somebody similar around 50 instead of 20 or 15. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So there's a chance it could happen. Okay. You're just not getting your hopes up. Mm-hmm. Man. All right. And real, so, and real fast. All right. So, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. I took a big sip of bourbon there and it really got me. Uh, <laughs> really fast. You know, I, just for Cardinal fans, as you listen to this, like if the Cardinals draft Tyler Soderstrom or if they draft Patrick Bailey with the 21st overall pick, it, don't look at the depth chart and say, well, Yadier Molina is here for five more years. And then uh, Andrew Kisner is here. And then Avon Herrera and Julio Rodriguez. Uh, you still draft the best player on your board at 21. It doesn't matter what position they are. It doesn't matter what's ahead of them or behind them. Uh, remember, the Cardinals weren't willing to trade Carson Kelly until Julio Rodriguez, Dennis Ortega, and Yvonne Herrera became real options. Uh, uh, so Behind Andrew Kisner. Exactly. Exactly. So you always, always at 21, always take the best guy on your board. Uh maybe not let me rephrase that you you always take the best available player because sometimes the best guy on your board is nick Plummer uh because you didn't expect one of the best guys available to fall to you all right so two questions ago i said we had two questions left and then i realized that i skipped a question (laughs) on our list because i didn't think it would fit but now i think it fits better so i'm going to go ahead and ask a third question um, Love it. So going back to the Prospect Live's original top 101 list, if everybody went in the exact order top 101 there, the Cardinals at 21, 54, 63, 70, and 93 would get these five guys. Tell me how this draft is for the Cardinals were this to happen. At 21, they take Nick Bitsko, who we've discussed. At 54, they take Zach Deloach. At 63, we have not really discussed Kyle Nicholas. At 70, we have not really discussed Drew Bowser. And at 93 is a guy that you've mentioned as liking, but we haven't discussed too much about him yet in Owen Cassie. So Bitsko, Deloach, Nicholas, Bowser, and Cassie with the top five picks. I, uh, that would be... How did they do? That would be a great draft. Like, I, I would be pretty damn excited about that. Now, Drew Bowser is a, a, a prep player and there's a very, very good chance that that kid is going to end up uh, going to, uh, sorry, give me, give me one second uh, to uh, 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 Stanford. He's a Stanford kid. That, so the stands like teams like okay. Duke and Stanford and UVA 
are the, the like the toughest to pull uh, away from. So the Drew Bowser is. A sh- I could see Vanderbilt Vanderbilt being part of that group. Yeah, but the thing about Vandy is Vandy gets like ten of the top thirty-five guys every year. Uh, so it's like, yeah, they'll keep like seven of them, or eight of them, or six of them, or five of them. But guys, like they it, it, they get they're just such a premier program that like. The, okay. Yeah, you get what I'm saying. I'm doing a terrible job of explaining it, but like Drew Bowser is, I would, I'd wager a great amount of money that unless he gets a super bonus, that that premier athlete, uh, shortstop, third baseman, it, he's going to end up going to to Stanford. Um, so okay, so at 70, if we picked him, it's probably a waste of a pick. Yeah, yeah, more more than likely, more than likely. But uh, you know, I drafted Zach Gel- De- Zach Deloche 70th overall. Now he's going to go 50. You're, if you want Zach Deloach, you're going to have to get him 54th. He probably won't last to 63. Uh, but that's an outfielder who did a lot to streamline his mechanics. And that's brought out uh, the best in his power. Uh, that is a fast riser who is really, really exciting. Like that'd be a great 54th overall pick. Kyle Nicholas is a big right-hander out of Fall State who could pump his fastball up to 100. Like I would say that Kyle Nicholas is kind of like the Tony Losey of this draft. So, you know, at uh, 63 overall, that's a pretty solid pick. Uh, uh, Losey was a third-round pick. I don't remember exactly what number he went, but uh, he, I think I, I think that there's a, some comparable traits there. And then uh, uh, our good friend Owen Casey, who goes to a school named Notre Dame. Uh, yeah, I, th- I believe it's Casey. I believe it's Casey. But as uh, our good friend C70 will tell you, I can't even say the word Robert right. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, 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 he, you know, he's, he's a big boy when you watch him. Uh, now he's an outfielder, but I could definitely see him being a first baseman long-term. I say that, but for being six foot four and one ninety, like he's a lot more athletic than you'd see. Basically what you're, what you're looking at with him is you're dreaming on some raw stuff. Like he has raw power that he uses pretty well in game, but there's still more there, a raw hit tool, um, for being as big as he is, he runs pretty well. Uh, and, you know, for being a left fielder, right fielder, he fields pretty well. Uh, but when you watch him, his name's Owen Case. I believe it's Owen Casey. And maybe it's because of his last name. But his swing reminds me of former Reds first baseman, Sean Casey. And the, hey, yeah, there you go. Yeah, if you watch it from the side, because of the way he swings and his body type, uh, the two of them remind me a lot of, like, just from a physical swing comparison. So, uh, you know, at 93... Uh, to get someone like Owen Casey, who will probably be there about 93. You know, I'd suspect that he goes in the 70 to 93 range. Um, where's uh, outfielder Owen Casey? Where does he go? Uh, he goes to uh, school. Oh, he goes to a school. Uh, uh, now, I don't know what Provence in Canada it is, but it's it's actually called Notre Dame. Uh, it's a high school. Okay, okay. So he's a high school kid, a prep kid. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Both he and Calabrese are prep kids. Uh, That's right. Yeah. That's right. So he, yeah, he, and he's really interesting. He's big. He's got power. There's some people, you know, I, I was reading somewhere, or maybe I heard it somewhere, or somebody texted me, or DM'd, or emailed. I don't even know anymore. But uh, somebody said that he could play center, and I don't buy that. I don't think he has that type of athleticism. Uh, but he is a smart, smart baseball player. So yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a great turn if they could get Bowser for sure. Awesome. Cool. Well, Kyle, I think that uh, I have probably taken enough of your time this evening. Uh, you've probably got 40 more DMs by this point mm. asking you more questions about prospects than I could come up with. Uh, so I will probably let you get to those here. Uh, 
Uh, thank you for doing all this, though. All this prep that you do, it just makes me a smarter baseball fan on draft day, and it makes me uh, happy to happy to work with you. You doing all this off the top of your head, just unbelievable, man. <laughs> I uh, I feel gifted to be given the amount of time from you, you know, with a family and being busy, and also, you know, you mentioned beforehand uh, before we went on air that you weren't feeling well. So uh, again, uh, Ben, I I appreciate every second that you've given me tonight. Awesome. Yeah. So I guess that's all for our draft, uh, our draft prep. Uh, the 2020 draft will be on Wednesday. It starts at six central time. Uh, Prospects after dark will go live probably around pick 17, 18. Uh, we'll take you into the, the wee hours. And then uh, day two starts at four central time, I believe. Um, and I, I will be with you for picks 54, 63, 70, and maybe 93. We'll see how it all goes time-wise. I believe day one, and I, I probably should have checked all this, but I believe day one is uh, comp, is round one in comp A. So that's your first 37 picks of the draft. And then day two are the other picks of the draft. Uh, we'll definitely get some information for you. But uh, uh, for everybody at Birds on the Black, uh, again, thank you, Ben. You are fantastic. Everybody at Birds, at the Black, Birds on the Black, everybody at Prospects After Dark, uh, if you listen to this, you're part of the resistance. Uh, and as always, family, thank you for sticking for us, sticking with us through all of this. Uh, not only the two hours that you've been here, uh, but also through the pandemic. Uh, we love you, uh, and as always, happy hunting.